0: October the, uh, the 4th through the 6th, this past October, I was in a camp meeting in Woodburn, Kentucky, a real good preacher that I have the highest regard for, and he, he likes me, and I preach for him somewhat regularly, and anyway, uh, the camp meeting started on Wednesday, and I didn't, I didn't preach on Wednesday, <clears throat> Thursday morning I didn't preach. I said, well, maybe I'll preach tonight, Thursday. Night. You know, camp meetings are crazy. They drive more preachers nutty. The only one that goes nuttier than that is the guy trying to oversee the whole thing. And Thursday night, uh, I didn't preach either. And, and, you know, there was a missionary there, a missionary to the Jews uh, that got up to preach that night. And I'd never met him before. But um, uh, anyway, he preached and he came up to my book table after the service, and he said, Brother Grady, how many of those holy ground books do you have, books on Israel? I said, well, I got five cases in my truck. He said, well, I don't want to leave you, you know, empty. Give me four. And he wrote me out a check for $850 on the spot. and took four cases of the new book on Israel. And his, his, he's a saved Jew from the Bronx, probably in the 70s. And his grandfather was one of the most famous rabbis in Israel in the 20th century. But anyway, he said, everywhere I go, people are asking me about this, this book. We've been selling them all over the place. And he got up and he preached Thursday night. I said, Well, I get well. That means I'm going to probably preach tomorrow. It's the last day of the camp meeting. So Friday morning session came and went. They didn't call on the great Doctor Grady. So I'm saying, praise God. I was hoping that was the case because I could preach Friday night, close the last night of the meeting, and maybe I'll get to preach second. You know, really be cool. And blah blah blah. Now. I'm sitting there Friday night thinking about this. I've got to be preaching tonight, because I always do. Sometimes I'll preach more than once at this good meeting. But I was really hopped up for one reason, because I like history, and that's what I spend a lot of time writing about, so I pay attention to it. The book on Israel, as I mentioned, took 18,000 hours, and I was a professional time study done by somebody else. Six, Six years, 10 hours a day. Footnotes coming out of your ears in that book. Peter Jennings from ABC News used to say, if you hear a rumor your mother loves you, check it out. I don't put stupid things in a book because I hear it on the Internet. So anyway, I'm all hopped up. Why are we all hopped up? You know why I was hopped up? How I many of you guys need another Italian joke? Raise your hand. All right, the girls raising their hands. Guys are sitting there. You know why Italians wear gold chains all the time? They got nowhere to stop shaving. Say amen right there. If you're good, I'll give you a few more, amen. Blah, blah, blah. So I'm say, so I'm all I'm all hopped up for one main reason. Because I love history. How you like this? That day, October 6th. No. October, yeah, October the 6th. I'm all psyched up. That is the 50th anniversary of the start of the Yom Kippur War in Israel I think it was 50 years ago 1973 how many of you all, how many of you folks were alive back then you all remember the gas pumps the gas the oil embargo cars lined up for blocks to try to get gas all over the United States remember that all right that's when Israel got attacked sneak attack by the Egyptians in the south and the uh, Syrians down from the Golan Heights and it was a it was a major near disaster. How, how, how critical was it? Uh, hello, the only female prime minister Israel ever had. Gold in my ear. She's pulling her cyanide capsules out of her purse. She came that close to killing herself. True story. Uh, you ever see the uh, movie uh, The Sum of All Fears, a Tom Clancy novel? It starts off with an Israeli jet taking off with a nuclear weapon on it in the beginning of that, that uh, Yom Kippur War. A Moshe Dayan, the most famous general Israel, and, and Brother Rick, I always remembered you're a military fanatic, military history, the most famous general Israel ever had, that guy with the one eye. Is it, one of his eye patches just sold on eBay the other day for $30,000 dollars he was offering his resignation to Golda ear while she's ready to commit suicide. I mean, Israel almost got completely overrun. By the way, one of the nuttiest stories about Moshe Diane, um, Pastor Travis Alltop, you probably know him over there in Danville, Kentucky, Bluegrass ba- uh, Pike Baptist Church. When this Israel book first came out, 2017, a lady in this church purchased one for me and asked me to autograph it to her Jewish dentist, Because uh, you know he's a Jew, and she thought he'd like it. I came back the next year. I said, "How'd your dentist like the book?" She said, "He didn't like it. He gave it back to me." I mean, that's not going to shock anybody. Jews get offended at anything. I'm a Baptist. What do you what do you think I'm going to be writing in there? But anyway, I said, "Well, what was his hang-up? She said, "He said you insulted one of his uh, relatives in the book." I said, "Who?" She said, "Moshe Diane." I say, well, what did I say about? It? I got a nice picture of him in the Yom Kippur War uh, photograph in the bunker, looking out with binoculars. You know, he's only got one eye. I, you know, I say, what did I say bad about him? And then she told me the thing that the dentist brought up, and I had to laugh because it was more of a funny story, but it's true. He was famous for stealing archaeological artifacts. And treasures, vases, you know, things they digging out of the ground, because that's a treasure trove in Israel for those kind of riches, right? Well, he loved to collect those things, Moshe and Diane, but he stole as many as he purchased. And so one year they had the annual uh, meeting of the Antiquities Board of Israel, and the big old general that's in charge of that part of the government was addressing the whole crowd, Moshe and Diane sitting over there, you know. And uh, anyway, he makes the announcement, we've had more pilfering this past year of our treasures than any other time, and we know who's doing it now, but we're not going to expose the person. But I am going to say, if he ever steals one more thing, we're going to put his other eye out. <laughs> it's a very famous story in Israel, and that's funny, right? Dennis got burned up, blah, blah, blah. So bottom line, this was a bad deal. Within, uh, uh, in other words, Egypt attacked from the south, go, uh, Syrians attacked from the, from the uh, through the n- uh, north, through the Golden Heights. And within an hour, for instance, of the beginning of the war, uh, Syrian tanks were sitting on the shore, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. 2,000 tanks were preparing to come up through the Sinai in a little bit of time. And Egyptian infantry was already, they crossed the Suez Canal in other words, the Sinai Desert. The Jews had gotten that in the Six Day War. That's the big buffer between the that used to be Egyptian territory. Suez Canal, Sinai Desert, Israel more proper up yonder, where the Jews built a seventy a seventy foot high sand berm all along the entire length of the Suez Canal, seventy feet high sand for a defensive barrier. Right. And, uh, and it would take 12, 15 hours for, anybody, for the Egyptians to dig through that sand. But the Egyptians surprised the Jews. They came across the canal in little dinghy boats with water cannons that they purchased from Germany. And they blasted holes through the sand and got through that whole thing, Brother Sal, in, uh, in, in just uh, about four hours' time. Here's a famous photograph right here of them shooting the water through that sand. Like, like firefighters, you know, with a water hose. Now, this was bad news. So I'm sitting here thinking to myself, man, I've got all this great stuff to share with the people. This is the, it started 50 years ago today. Israel came that close again to being annihilated. But there's so much stuff that you're never going to hear on the History Channel that's 100% documented. So, like what? Well, how about the fact that our NSA learned about the attack through our satellites. We, we found out it was coming 4-0, 40 hours before it happened. We knew, right? And we gave Golda ear, we meaning Richard Nixon, with his Jewish Secretary of State, Henry Kissinger, who just kicked the bucket the other day at 100 years of age, and we knew about it 40 years ahead of time, and we gave Golda Meir a six-hour window notice. That's it. Well, that was okay, wasn't it? Not when Israel's military is 80% reservist. What does that mean? Well, they, if they're under attack, they need a good 12 to 14, 15 hours to deploy their men. Am I right, preacher? It, Jew, they're reservists. They're taxi cab drivers, bartenders. They gotta. They get, the word is out. They got to go park their cabs, get their equipment, get to the unit, get the unit down to the front lines. That takes 12 to 15 hours minimum. And we knew that. And we, let, we only gave them six hours? Yeah. Three months, three months before this happened, Henry Kissinger, again, the Jewish Henry Kissinger, he's in Tel Aviv meeting with Golda Meir. She stuck her finger in his nose. The man that invented the neutron bomb, Sam Cohen, the father of the neutron bomb, invented, he worked on the atom bomb in 43 and invented the most bizarre weapon in the history, the neutron bomb. I shared this in the past with you. You've had my books now through the years. I got a connection with him through a congressman in Oklahoma. and We became good friends for the last seven years of his life. Matter of fact, I don't know why he said this, but he said... Uh, Bill Grady is the most unusual friend I have known in my 84 years. I don't know why I said that. Only God can do those crazy things. But anyway, well, he, we, he called my home once a week for seven years. Once a week, seven years. And we just told Jewish jokes half the time. or talked about any baloney that was going on. I called him one time. I said, Sam, I got a real bad joke for you this time. You're going to get mad at me for this. He said, no, I ain't, Bill. I can never get mad at you. I said, here goes. I said, why do Jews have big noses? Got real quiet on the other end of the line. Finally, a gruffled voice said, why? I said, because air is free. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Praise God. Now, all the young people, that's a hate crime. Didn't he get mad? Yeah, he got so mad, he said, I'll give you one foot. Whoa, when he recovered himself and got off the floor, and uh, you know why Italians hate Jehovah's Witnesses? They hate all witnesses. Blah, blah, blah. When he recovered himself, he got off the floor. And he said, I'll give you one better than that, Bill. What's a real Jewish dilemma? I said, what? He said, a free ham sandwich. Blah, blah, blah. But uh, he was a character. And uh, what in the world was I talking about? Does anybody remember? Say, uh, don't you get embarrassed when you can't remember what you were saying? Not when 150 people can't remember. <laughs> I'll, laugh you. I'll laugh you out of the building. Does anybody know what I was saying Ha- oh yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, 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 so, uh, so what was what was the deal about? Well, why did, why why did they stick it to those Jews like they did? Well, uh, uh, oh yeah, Kissinger was over there speaking to Golda Meir three months before the war started, and she didn't trust him as far as she could throw him. You know. She knows how shady those Jews are. She stuck her finger. Sam Cohen, that's where I was going with this. Sam Cohen told me this story, and I've read it elsewhere now. But she, she stuck her finger in his nose. You know, she old, short old lady, and he's a big guy. She said, Sonny boy, don't forget, she said, over here, meaning in Israel. We write from right to left. Hebrew, right? You know what she was telling him? Don't forget who you you're a Jew. You're one of us. And his famous answer was, well, Madam Prime Minister, I'm an American first now. I owe my first allegiance to our government. Because he knew they were about ready to get shafted. By the way, something Dr. Ruckman pointed out that I thought was so incredible. Here's the cross right here, you know. Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. In Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. Right? Latin for Africa and Greek for Europe and Hebrew for the Jews and Ham, Shem, and Jephe had three different directions, you know. Dr. Ruckman used to point out all the civilizations to the east of the cross, right, like Golda said, R to L, from right to left, backwards. Not just Hebrew, Arabic, Chinese. And everything this way Europe goes L to R, the way we write. This way. Look at this thing. Talk about the centrality of the cross. No written languages down in Africa. Nothing coming up from the south. But Look at this thing. Don't forget over here, Sonny, we write right to left. Well, why did Nixon do that? Half a dozen reasons. We already mentioned the gas pumps. The Arab oil embargo. Number two, Nixon wanted to not only keep the Arabs happy because of the threat of cutting off our oil But the other thing was the Jews had shellacked those Arabs so bad in the previous war. The Six-Day War in 1967. In six days, those Jews got the Sinai Desert. They got the Golan Heights, the buffer zone between Syria and Israel. And the historic West Bank that you hear about all the time. The Occupied Territories. Jordan had snatched that up in 1948 and the the Christians got it back in that Six-Day War. All three of these major land grabs in just less than a week. What happened? They attacked first in that war. Like the Arabs attacked first now in this Yom Kippur War. And so the, the, the Arabs, they didn't have any masculinity left. I mean, they were like they were wiped out. And so, you know, Nixon's going to give them a little boost of their ego. And the key phrase that has come out now in writing, nobody heard about back then. But between Nixon and Kissinger, the phrase was, well, we're going to give the Jews a bloody nose. We know we're know we not going to have them wiped out. They're going to win. But we'll bloody their nose a little bit, make the Arabs happy. In other words, throw a few bones to the Arabs. Preacher, you can't make this stuff up. I'm preaching this stuff. Last week in Maryland... The pastor of the church sitting right over here, top secret security clearances, works for the NSA. His father is at home sick that service, watching on YouTube, 30 years working for the NSA. The favorite expression there is NSA stands for no such agency. But it gets worse than that. Are you listening, neighbor? Because of NSA whistleblowers, we now know the main reason Nixon was sticking it to the Jews was for revenge. What do you, what, what do you mean, revenge? All right, go back six years earlier, to 67, to the six day war that I just referenced, when the Jews got the jump on the Egyptians and the Syrians and the Jordanians. The, the fourth day of that week, that six day war on Thursday, you won't you won't believe this, but the the Israeli Air Force and Navy attacked an American ship, a naval a Navy ship, the USS Liberty. I just preached over in um, is, is, I just preached over there in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, last Sunday. Stayed at the Navy Lodge there. Pastors a twenty five year Navy veteran. It's an all black, pro King James, pro Doctor Ruckman church. A wild church. But the preacher and his top man, deacon, two Navy veterans, they know this. We talked about it. What, what do you mean? What do you mean? How about 36 American sailors killed on a United States vessel? attacked from two, two, Amer- two uh, uh, Israeli uh, phantom jets. How about a photograph taken from the ship right there? That's taken from the vessel. There's an Israeli jet coming in to strafe that ship. How about the captain of that Liberty was wounded? Survived. How about two uh, Israeli Navy gunboats coming out, shooting that boat with torpedoes, almost sinking it. Pull it up on your phone, look at the photographs of that thing as it hobbled into port, I think in Crete for repairs. The very next day after that happened, the Israeli ambassador to the United States is in Lyndon Johnson's office in Washington, hat in his hand. Oh, Mr. President of this society, uh, mistaken identity. He thought it was, uh, the pilots thought of us an Egyptian freighter. You know, one of these tugboats about 500 years old, you know, shuttling horses around. I just showed you the photograph from the boat. You could see the pilot's color of his eyes just about, they're coming so close. There wasn't any question about mistaken identity. You know why? Because the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff at that time had a nickname for the USS Liberty. He called it America's Lobster lobster ship. Why, why is that? Because it had 18 gigantic antennas sticking off of it plus a giant listening ear on the helm. It was the number one spy ship for the NSA. <laughs> and, and, and well the attack took place right off of Gaza in the Mediterranean. Our ship was sitting out there monitoring the locations of the Israeli forces. So the Egyptians that had gone toward Israel, and they lost their whole air force in two hours when the Israelis struck first, the Israelis destroyed 400 Egyptian jets on the ground, and it's, and it's over. The war is over. And, and half the Egyptian armies running back to Egypt for all they're worth, throwing their equipment off, their clothes. All they kept were little diapers, they said, little white bot- things on their bottom. You know, it's very hot in Sinai. They're running for their lives, and the Israelis are wiping them out. So we're helping the Egyptians out there with this ship, locating where the Israelis are and radioing that information to the Egyptians in Cairo, and they're re-radioing the coordinates to the military so the Egyptians would know how they could sneak back to Egypt. And the Mossad found out about it. You don't mess with those Jews, neighbor. They're highly gifted people, if you're interested. And so they took the ship out. Preacher, the only funny part about that thing is They're talking to Johnson. Johnson said, basically, okay, don't let it happen again. (laughs) Boing, out of there. They both knew what was going on. So Nixon's going to get revenge for that USS Liberty incident. Give those Jews a bloody nose. A major military historian said Nixon and Kissinger were so stupid that they thought they'd give Israel a bloody nose. What they didn't realize they did was they opened an artery. Israel was that close to complete annihilation, but we know God wouldn't let that happen. But this is how it looked to the secular world. I was working in New York City for BOAC at that time. I didn't know one thing about what's going on over there. So I'm thinking, this is unbelievable. I can't believe I've got all this cool information. And then I'm I'm sitting there ready to preach. 50 years anniversary. And then I'm thinking... And yet, Nixon, as as crooked as he was in all this, he gets the credit for having rescued Israel for them winning the war because of a massive airlift that he sent into Israel. To this day in Israel, because of the public relations from that, everybody still thinks he was the one that saved them, where he was the one that just about annihilated them. Well, how did they win the war? Who saved them if he didn't save them? You won't believe it in a million years. 100% 100% documented, and again, and I know uh, I'm up against it with, um, with people now that are uh, not, the least bit, not the least bit interested in uh, what's going on now. And these young people, about half of them are paying attention, the other half aren't too bad. And that's not bad, but look, don't get impressed with these things, young people, look. Moses was downloading data from a cloud onto his tablets a long time before Bill Gates ever had his first diaper changed. That's the truth. I'm serious as a heart attack. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, you know why Italians have short necks? All the time they stand in front of the judge. I never heard of the guy. I don't know nothing about that guy. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, you know who the real hero of the Yom Kippur War was? You won't believe it in the main years. How many of you old-timers remember the name Alexander Haig? Remember him? General in the army? When Reagan got shot, remember he's up there in a press conference saying, I've got control, everything's under control, trust me, I got it all. And everybody tore him to pieces for making that statement like he's power crazy. He was just saying that for the Russians because they knew him personally and they don't know what's going to happen. Maybe Reagan's out of, out of commission and he was basically reassuring them, don't worry, don't shoot any buttons, push any buttons. He was be, He's a Roman Catholic, probably an elder knight, but he loved the Jews. Strange Catholic. Well, what did he do? He saved them in this war. How did he save them? First of all, he flew he, behind Nixon's back. He flew 30 top Israeli military officers uh, from Tel Aviv into Washington, Fort Bennings, Georgia. Hit him in, the, in a hangar down there. I spoke to a man on the telephone one time who was the host of those Israeli officers when they came to town. Look his name up on the Internet. John L. Loftus, L-O-F-T-U-S. He got security clearances this long. used to work for the Justice Department. He was a Nazi hunter and everything else. And in his books, what he talks about is, uh, uh, what's his name? General Haig brought those men in incognito hid them in the hangar for 48 hours. What did he bring them in for? To give them a crash course on America's newest weapon that nobody knew about at all, except for Great Britain. And that was the tow missile launcher. Put a a guided missile on your shoulder, aim at anything you want to hit, no matter how far away it is, hit the trigger, keep the sight on it, and you can't miss. It fires out of the tube, and all these antenna wires come flying out of the back. It's so the greatest anti-tank weapon of that era. Nobody knew about it. And not only and while they were being trained, he was, he was uh, commandeering all the tow missile launchers we had in every American base, in every, uh, all over Europe and everywhere else. And they were all uh, uh, expedited to Israel in several cargo planes. Landed there just in time for those Israeli officers going back home. And, and preacher, 2,000 Egyptian tanks came across the Sinai Desert to absolutely wipe out Israel. It was the second largest tank battle in the history of the world. That's all World War II included. The Battle of Kernst between the Russians and the Germans is the number one tank battle. Here's the number two tank battle. Here's a photograph of it. And the Israelis were blowing those Egyptian tanks off the field. It was so crazy. The Russian amb- advisors that were there thought there were missiles coming out of the sky. Nobody knew how this could be happening. How how bad was it, Brother Grady? Well, how about the the, the Egyptian general in charge of the whole invasion? Right? 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 Gets a heart attack and dies. He's in such shock. Listen, if God wants to take care of you, he knows how he can take care of you. We got our own battles we're fighting. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. God knows how to take care of things. And listen... At the end of that day, I mean, at the end of the day, that was the, that was the straw that broke the camel's back, and Israel now is going to win that war. At the end of the day, late at night, here comes Nixon's airlift, several planes landing with emergency supplies. He gets all the credit for saving the Jews. And it was two weeks overdue, Brother Sal. Why was it overdue? Because Kissinger, as a Jew, once, once, Israeli, once America realized, we better help these dudes out, we opened an artery. This is looking bad. Once that was decided to do that, Kissinger's fooling around, two, almost two weeks delay trying to get lower fuel prices for the planes. True story. You know why the Jews wanted 40 years in the wilderness? Somebody lost a quarter. Say amen right there. <laughs> so to this day, Nixon is the great hero, and Alexander Haig was the man that saved the Jews. And the last thing I'm thinking about, I'm ready to preach. All this stuff's in my head. This is the very day it started. 50 years ago. The other thing was, you know, that Bible could be true, young people. Would you believe that? The Bible could be true. It says in there, I'll bless them that bless thee, and I'll curse them that curse thee. You ever see what happened? Lyndon Johnson for sending those spy ships out there to get those Jews in trouble? I don't know. Very few presidents don't run for re-election. Famous photograph, he's sitting in his office with his head in his hands, about burned out mentally. Anybody ever hear of Vietnam? Anybody ever hear of the urban riots? All that's on Nixon, on, Nixon, on Johnson's watch. He's burned out, dude. Drunk all the time. But Mister Nixon had it worse than Johnson did. He went crazy in the White House. We mean, we mean crazy. Well, you ever? I may mean, ever heard of Watergate. And I'm telling you, neighbor. And by the way, going back a little bit before that, 1948, the number one guy fighting the Jews was a guy named. Uh, 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 James Forrestal, some of you remember that name. He was the last civilian secretary of the Navy, first secretary of defense. He was Truman's number one cabinet man. And he was fighting the Jews behind Truman's back like crazy trying to keep them from becoming even voted on for statehood. And then when Jews are voted in with the UN, uh, will the United States endorse Israel or not? And he's he's trying to undercut that whole program behind Truman's back all that time. Truman finally finds out all about it. He says, you're a toast, man. He fires him. What happened next? Wow, he went nuts too. Ruckman used to say, you mess with that book or you mess with that Jew, God will mess with you they mess with your brain. Well, what, what happened to his brain? He He went crazy. Nuthouse crazy. H- help me to get back to this. Nuthouse. Can you get me back to forest? Hall? I got to tell these kids a joke. So there were these two crazy people. Now I know that's probably, you can't even use the term anymore. Nuthouse. house. I mean, when I was growing up, I heard this joke when my mother was still alive. I was 11 when she died. So she told me this joke. There were these two nuts in a nut house, padded cell. Is this offensive language? I don't even know. Is nut house okay? Can you say nut house? How you doing? Can you say nut house? So one of these guys is shoot, shooting a flashlight up to the ceiling like that. And the other guy, is looking at me, he said, hey man, what are you doing? He said, don't bother me, man. Kept on shining the light. A few minutes later, the guy said, uh, his curiosity is getting to him. He said, hey, man, what are you doing with that light, man? I said, I told you to shut up. Finally, after a few more minutes, he says, hey, man, if you don't tell me what you're doing with that flash, I'm going to take that thing away and beat you to death with it. He said, okay, okay. He said, you see that beam of light? He said, yeah, I see it. He said, I bet you 10 bucks you can't climb up that beam of light. That guy looked at him and said, are you nuts? Before I got halfway up there, you turned it off. <laughs> All right, go back to sleep. Kessinger. I mean, Forrestal. So he, so how crazy was he? I don't know. Bethesda Naval House crazy. Padded cell crazy. 22nd floor of Bethesda Naval Hospital crazy. How about jumping out the window crazy? With his robe, bathrobe uh, tied to his neck to the uh, radiator crazy. I'll curse him that cursed the thing. By the way, God wasn't finished with Forrestal just killing him. His aircraft carrier was the number one supercarrier, first supercarrier the Navy ever had. Well, anybody ever hear of the fire on that thing when Senator McCain was sitting in a jet? And the jet next to McCain shot a rocket out of nowhere, started a multi-million dollar fire, all kind of sailors killed. That, just, that was just the beginning of God getting that ship. Because Forrestal, he's in hell, now God's going to get his ship was named after him, the USS Forest Hall. It took a billion dollars to repair the ship and they got a new nickname, the USS Forest Fire, after that. <laughs> Literally. And then everywhere it went, there was a cloud of gloom over the thing, man. Bad. This black church I just preached in Norfolk Baptist Church. Last week, top deacons served 10 years on the Forest Hall. He said, Brother Grady, you wouldn't believe how many weird things happened on that ship. People dying, fires, accidents all over the place. I preached at Arlington Baptist Church there in Arlington, Texas. A couple years ago, the pastor interrupted me in a nice way. He said, hey, my brother served as a flagman on the forest all for years. He wrote me letters all the time saying he couldn't believe how many weird things kept happening on that ship. I preached in Gainesville, Georgia a couple months ago. I got the picture of the dude on my phone, big old cowboy hat. He said, I served on the forest hall. And he's telling me all, he didn't believe this, but he told me all kind of people testifying to seeing ghosts walking through the ship. What happened to that ship? That major super carrier, the first one the Navy had, they decommissioned it. Then they said, we'll give it away for a museum. Everybody would want this ship. Hello. How about nobody wanted it? They couldn't give the ship away for a museum. I just preached at Peace Baptist Church there in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Big destroyer from World War II sitting out there. You know, everybody wants a big ship for museums. Nobody wanted that ship. Belonged to a filthy animal. Opposed those Jews. God was not happy. So what happened to it? I preached down at Shady Acres Camp Meeting down there a few years ago in Houston. I was telling the story. I said, you know what happened to that ship? It came right here to your town, to a scrapyard. It cut the thing to pieces. You know what the selling price was for that ship to the scrapyard? You won't believe this. Take a wild guess how much the sales price was. Look, look, help me out here. How much did they sell it for? Somebody help me, Rhonda. How much? No. Somebody said a dollar. Try again. Hello. What comes under a dollar? How many of you teenagers are homeschooled? You know what the most common expression is at an Italian funeral? Ever heard that one? If he'd only kept his mouth shut, what comes below a dollar? One penny. Now, you know, I like to footnote everything, and I really try to be accurate. And if I ever make a mistake, I get depressed. I Brother Sal, I look back over this, and I think I messed up. As far as I think I'm right now, the Navy paid the scrapyard a penny. Take that ship. Oh, and by the way, they cut it all up except for the anchors. They kept the symbolic anchors for the USS Forest Hall, did not destroy the anchors. How could you make this up? You know what they did with those anchors? They donated them to the USS Harry S. Truman. I just preached for Brother, Brother Gunther, man in this church, that I served on the Harry S. Truman for years. They had the anchors from the forest hall. Don't forget the big picture Harry Truman put up the newspaper. He shows everybody the morning after he won the presidency against Thomas Dewey. And everybody said he was going to lose. The Chicago Tribune said, Dewey defeats Truman, famous headline. They, they miscalled it. That's when elections used to be over one night. And he's showing it up there. I don't know. God can, pull, God can pull things out for you if he's pleased with you. So I'm thinking about all that stuff. Now here's Nixon going nuts. How nuts was Nixon going? Going to bed at 5 o'clock every day. Drunk. Barbiturates and liquor and all kind of problems. Who was running the country? You didn't know it back then. Henry Kissinger was running everything. Nixon's out. God finally threw him out. And by the way, not only did he throw Nixon out on his rear end, or as my dad would say, threw him out on his keister, he kicked his vice president out with him. Anybody remember that? Spiro Agnew. The Greek, he was so corrupt when they put the charges on him. You know what he said? No contendo. No contention. I'm out of here. I have a very famous story in my, new, my Israel book, this, this high-level cabinet official. I forget his name. It's in the book, though. Totally documented story. He's going through a, he's going through a stairwell. Look. In, in, in the White House. Look. Passing from one part of the building to the other. And he gets into the stairwell, and he gets run over some crazy guys running down the stairs, Like a kid in a public school might do, running down the stairway two or three steps at a time, you know, with his hands on the rail. Crazy. Knock this this man over and as he went by he said six more guys come running down the steps with suits on they were as big as football players like Rosie Greer he's laying on the ground just knocked over from the first dude turns out that was Nixon in the front and six secret service agents chasing him all over the White House he was crazy it's all documented now and as a matter of fact I don't know if you know this but we came that close to war civil war in our own country because Nixon was that close to calling out the United States Marine Corps to protect him from being ejected out of the White House because the Marines are the Praetorian Guard for the President. And it was going to be the Marines against the Army. That close to coming out. Look. So I'm thinking about all this stuff. Look. Can't wait to preach. And then and then preacher. <laughs> and then in comes this guest preacher, I guess. He sure looked like it. His handkerchief was definitely... Brighter than mine. Shinier cufflinks. And preacher, he had all the markings of the guy that was going to preach that night. You see it in the camp meeting. In other words, I didn't see the guy all week. He might have been there, but I didn't see him. He like designated hitter. Here he comes. And the Lord said to me, you know he's going to preach. I said, there's no way he could preach, Lord. I've got the greatest sermon in the history of the world. Right on schedule. 50th anniversary. Sure enough. Mr. Wonderful gets up and preachers. And I know these crazy sermons get taped. I don't want to make an enemy if somebody sees this someday. He's not a bad guy. What did he preach? He preached a camp meeting sermon. What do they call them? Skyscraper sermons? One story on top of another? It was okay. But it wasn't like me. I had the cool stuff. I'm sitting out there trying to act cool, but I was burned up inside. If I ever had a big church, I would never host a camp meeting. Those preachers must go nuts trying to do that. Anyway, it's all over. I'm just cursing the day of my birth. I don't believe. It. And listen, it's so funny. That Jewish missionary, the converted Jew from the Bronx, that wrote me $850 check. I told you he preached the night before. And he never even mentioned Yom Kippur. I said, Lord, that is so cool. You are so set this up for me, for me. You sound like us like you're backslid. I'm, preachers are messed up like you're messed up, we're not perfect. <laughs> were you crazy? We're just not as messed up as you. If we were, we wouldn't have a job. Somebody say amen right there. Long story short, it's all over, preacher, and I'm just, what a burned out opportunity to say, look, then the preacher calls all the speakers up in front of us. I'm in front of the Lord's Supper table, about 12, 15 preachers there that night, and he's going to dismiss all the church members to come around and shake our hands. Like, I really wanted to be shaking hands. I promise you, I'm not making this up. His people were coming by, Brother Grady, we thought we were going to hear you tonight. We like you. They do, and the preacher likes me. And then everybody's dismissed to go eat. You think I was going to go over there and party with those people? That wasn't going to happen. I wanted to go home and sulk, like every preacher does at a not be. They didn't call me to preach. I go over to my book table and put my books away, probably slamming them into the box. The pastor walks over. Brother Grady, I don't know what happened. I wanted to use you this week. you know. What happened was God was messing with my brain for a reason. But I sure didn't see it that moment. Eh, well, it's okay, preacher. I'm acting humble, you know. Then he slides a check over to me. $500 check. Glory to God. My appetite revived. Say amen right there. So then I put on a little act. I said, what's this for, preacher? I said, what's for you? Oh, I don't need this here. <laughs> and he said, I got to have you back. My people are going to riot if I don't have you back. When's the first Sunday you can give me, preacher? I said, I don't have any Sundays left this year. He said, and he said something I can't believe I've never heard a preacher say to me in 50 years. He said, do you got any Saturdays available? <laughs> promise. He wanted to book me for a Saturday night just to keep his people from going to riot. I'm building it up a little bit, but it was like that. (laughs) Sometimes I totally make up stuff. Sometimes I just stretch it a little. This is a little stretch. Preacher, I looked at my calendar. Look, I wound up having one Sunday open the whole year, New Year's Eve, Sunday morning. I'm preaching for him next week, the week after Christmas in Kentucky, going back and I went back over there. Now I was ready to eat and party, you know, with five hundred dollar check. But not doing anything. But I still kept thinking, I can't believe all this cool stuff was missed. Preacher packed up my books, left church, went back to my motel. 6, 11 o'clock at night, Central Standard Time, midnight Eastern Standard Time. Put my head down on the pillow, preacher. I put my head down on the pillow, and three thousand Hamas perverts invade Israel. Six a.m. that morning, six hour time change. Well, I'm putting my pillow head down on the pillow. Yom Kippur is being repeated. You didn't have 1,700 civilians killed in the Yom Kippur War. You had them killed in three hours over there in Israel. 270 people kidnapped. You know what happened. I got three chapters on the Holocaust in my Israel book. I've been over to Auschwitz on two occasions. My wife's a proof, my proofreader. She's a nurse when we got married. Autopsy TV shows. Nothing bothers her, you know. But one year of the six years with three Holocaust chapters, she left the the computer screen at least a dozen times, could not handle the gore in my chapters. But I never read about any Nazis beheading babies after they were yanked out of the wombs of their mothers. And then their mothers beheaded after the babies are beheaded. Nazis didn't do that. It's all going on. 50 years off, 12 hours I'm being right on the target. Same exact thing. You read that in the 1 Samuel 30? Don't turn to it. You see those unbelievable parallels? The modern day Ziklag is a place called Kiriot, Kiryat, K-A-R-Y-A-T. You know where that city is tonight? 19 miles east of Gaza. Both invasions were surprise attacks. The one in the Bible and the one last month both by descendants of Esau. In both cases, the Israeli settlements were burned. In both cases, multiple hostages were taken, primarily women and children. In both cases, the military was absent. In both cases, the population became incensed. In both cases, the Jews wept sore. They spoke of stoning David. The number one expression in Israel tonight is Netanyahu's going home. That means they're going to fire him. Couldn't believe all that. Five days after that invasion, I was privileged to have lunch in Nashville, Tennessee with the Israeli version of the American sniper. It's a man I got to know back in Knoxville, Tennessee 10 years ago. And we're like father and son. I'm witnessing to him all the time. He's a wonderful Israeli man. Top Israeli sniper in the IDF. Here's this picture on a special ops mission in Gaza. We don't have his name mentioned here. And we've been to Israel together. I've been down to Gaza with him. He's like my guide. Wonderful man. Top real estate salesman in Nashville, Tennessee. And, I, and by the way, he told me the worst Holocaust joke in history. Joan Rivers, Jewish comedians, they get away with that. The black athletes, you know, exploit the N-word left and right with impunity. The Jews tell Holocaust jokes. I can't figure these people out. They're wild. And this is my friend. He said, he said, Bill, <coughs> Bill, did you do you know why Hitler shot himself? I said, No why. He said he saw the gas bill. That's a Jewish joke. I didn't make that thing up. <laughs> it's what you call dark humor. And I had lunch with him in his Nashville home. I'll tell you a sharpie is rookie of the year, first year selling real estate, $10 million. Average I know the average realtor that's Realtor of the year is 500,000. He did 10 million his first year. Just gifted people, right? And I said, Z, his name is Zion. I said, what in the world? He was at Brother Gunther's church. I brought him in on the 70th anniversary of Israel five years ago. And all the Flint TV stations are interviewing him. He's, a, he's an unbelievable man. Highly regarded in Israel military. I said, what happened, Zion? You know what he said? Key thing he said is, He was angry, he was sad, he was disillusioned. Had all these emotions going on at one time. He said, Israel Defense Forces did the same thing American military did in the West did. They went woke. They went soft. They got rid of all their hardline officers, got ice cream cone people in it. Go look at the CIA commercials, FBI commercials on on the internet. Here's a woman, in the, I work for the CIA. I had two mothers. Look how I turned out. All that perversion. And you, some of you know what I'm talking about. He said his phone started ringing five minutes after it started. He told me he made, and he's not a boastful man. He's very humble, very humble, quiet Jew. But he said he called several Mossad agents that he knows personally. What, he's going to call to encourage them? No, he said he called to tell them to resign. Leave the stage gracefully. That kind of principle. It's terrible. Now, and he said, you're not going to believe what's coming, he said. We're just not doing it when everybody thinks we're going to do it. For one reason, everybody thought the infantry was going to go in right away, didn't it? It took them weeks to go in because they were bombing the tunnels, squashing all the different octopus tunnel systems. Now you should be thankful that your pastor wants to keep you up on some prophetic themes. I had, a, I had a very nice Christmas sermon to preach tonight. I wasn't sure what to do. And he suggested the Israel message because he wants you informed. Things are heating up on the prophetic scene. The Ukraine Russia war is a good example. People keep thinking Putin's the bad guy. Why don't you figure out who Biden and CNN are pulling for? Hello? Putin keeps talking about denazifying the Ukraine. Go read my Israel book and see if the greatest slaughter of Jews didn't happen in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. Bobby Yar with 36,000 Jews, women and children killed in pits by Ukrainian Nazis in two days. 36,000 of them shot. The Ukraine-Russia war is a proxy war. It's NATO and the U.S. versus Russia. The Ukrainians are the little pawns, cannon fodder. Anybody remember the the big image in Daniel, the golden head, the silver arms? Remember that? What does Daniel tell Nebuchadnezzar? Four empires, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, and the Roman legs. Anybody remember that? Hello? Anybody remember the last part of the image? Ten toes down there in the bottom. You know those ten toes are? That's, that's, that's the part of the image that God's going to take out. The Lord's going to take it out with the stone cut out without hand. Boom, going to knock the whole thing down at the feet. Guess who the ten toes are? Can I give you a hint? The ten toes? <laughs> Can you say NATO? <laughs> Come on, neighbor. That's the EU down there. Don't you, doesn't anybody remember the late great planet Earth? The revived Roman Empire? <laughs> You know, Putin is not the bad guy everybody thinks he is. He's a nationalist. He's a a lost, former KGB guy, but he's for Russia first. And NATO and the United States and all the globalists are trying to wipe him out because he won't play games with anybody. That's just the way it really is. Believe me, that's how it is. Do you know that uh, Putin likes the Jews, always has liked the Jews, and liked Israel? You know, when he was, according to his biography, he was a poverty-stricken kid with his family growing up in Russia. They had a Jewish neighbor down the street that fed the family, took care of all their needs. Putin grew up loving that family. Then he went to high school and he had a German teacher who was a Jewish woman. He loved her. She went to Israel in the 70s. When when he went over there in 2000, first trip over to Israel, he looked the lady up. She's a 90-year-old widow. He bought her an expensive apartment in Tel Aviv, so she could live comfortably for the last years of his life. He had a he had a wrestling judo coach who was a Jew. In high school, he loved that dude. That guy just died two years ago. Putin went to his funeral. KGB man wept openly. Had to take a side detour away from his security control people just to compose himself. He was so shook up. Forget the museum in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem. Big Jewish museum got a giant painting. Of Putin in there, they love him because he's always been good to them. But now the Mossad is helping out the Ukrainians with intel on where the Russians are, and Putin is shocked that he's being stabbed in the back. You know, if we blow out of here in the rapture tomorrow, Israel and the Antichrist are going to have some kind of a contract covenant, aren't they? Well, Antichrist is going to be Europe. There, the Jews or Israel's already with it, Europe now. I wonder if Russia is going to invade Israel probably. It doesn't make Russia right or wrong. It just shows you there's more to the eye than you're seeing on CNN. Well, I've tagged third base and I'm halfway to home plate, and I've got the craziest stuff coming up. I Think the preacher told you you were going to see something weird tonight. I made that up. <laughs> I really don't have anything. Well, I got some more Italian jokes. You know what FIAT stands for? Fix it again, Tony. All right, stay with me. I, I, I better tell you my Christmas Italian joke. You know what an Italian nativity saying is? You got one baby Jesus, you got Joseph, you got one Mary, and you got 30 wise guys. All right. I'm losing them, Lord. Okay, no problem, Lord. Okay, let me show you now, in closing, two strange things, that we'll get out of here. The way I preach, I always leave the best stuff to the end. And uh, if you want to get a real blessing now, I'm going to give you the best blessing I can give you. Let me show you why those Jewish babies are being beheaded. Where all this perverted, sick stuff is. What is, what is going on? Look, can I show you? And then we'll be closing out of here. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 2. And I promise, every, uh, Jamie, I need you to read this for me. Because I, this page is half torn out of my Bible. If I was more spiritual, I would have it memorized. First First Thessalonians 2, you know, Romans 13 says um, the Jew is the enemy, is your enemy for the gospel's sake, but I'm going to show you a parallel passage about that Jew. Uh, First Thessalonians 2, Brother Jamie, would you mind reading verses, uh, maybe if you could maybe even stand up so the people could hear you, but everybody read along and you'll see something very serious here, verses 13 uh, down through verse 16, go ahead, Jamie. For the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Anti Jewish rallies all over this country. Don't you think those Jews are scratching their head? What is wrong with us, right? Now, you want to see something creepy now? I promise you, everything I'm going to show you now is pure creepy. Turn to Luke 19 real quick because I'm just about done, but I've got the best for last for real, right? Okay. You say it's, but you've been preaching longer than 35 minutes, but the world's coming to an end. Right? In the world coming to an end? Let me show you what's next. Israel is the only game in town now. And in Luke 19, look, here's a prophecy about the whole 2,000 years of persecution those Jews are going to be involved with. Look at verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over Jerusalem, saying, If thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side that started with the siege of Jerusalem. And they shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave upon thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of their visitation. You know, when, when, when that happened 30 years later, and the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem, right? I've got a painting on my wall in my home from the 1800s It's so uh, profound you have to get a book that goes with it. It's the siege of Jerusalem at nighttime and there's so much activity on this one canvas. But every morning Josephus, the Jewish historian, said 500 new Jews that had snuck over the walls at night or tunneled out in the dark uh, under the the walls because they're starving to death. They were getting caught every day. 500 were being crucified every day, new ones. Every day, another 500, another 500, well, in front of the north wall, until they ran out of wood, they said, and places to erect the crosses. So, who's all those crucified Jews out there? Well, they yelled to Pilate, His blood be upon us and our children. There they are, 40 years later. Now, I had a lady in my church when I pastored up here by Flint for nine years. A lady in my church came up and showed me these verses. Because that's how the, the, the Holocaust was the apex of the, of the 2,000 years, beginning with the siege of Jerusalem and, listen, hitting a zenith with the Holocaust in, Israel, in, in Europe, right? And they captured all those Jews all over every European city. They took them from, this, from the country, brought them into the closest big cities, and then walled them in walled them in, in certain areas of that city, and they were called ghettos. You've heard of the Warsaw Ghetto, the Woosh Ghetto, and and all the big cities in Europe that did it the same way, captured them, let them die there from starvation and sickness, and then they liquidate the ghetto by putting them on trains and sending them to labor camps, right, where they were being gassed. That's how they killed six million people in four years. Now, you know, I had a lady in my church, Brother Sal, come up and show me this. And again, you ladies, I hope you know you're supposed to read the Bible and get things God will show you like I'll show a man in a minute. a lady in my church said, look at there, preacher. She said, but look at the wild thing the Lord showed me. Look at the dates where the scripture address, Luke 19, 41 through 44. There's the Holocaust dates. First Jews shot in Russia in the pits. June 41, last gas chamber at Auschwitz, blown up in November of 44. Russians liberate the camp in January of 45. There's the Holocaust days right there, in English, 1941 to 44. I'll show you one more, and this is probably the last verse I have. If You want to see something spookier than that? I told you, this is a spook city there. Okay? Let me know when you're bored. Turn to Hosea real quick. Hosea 13. I'm reading my Bible one morning, Lord showed me this. When those Jews came into those camps, they were split in two parts, you know that, come off the trains, 80% went to the gas chambers, 20% were deemed strong enough to be slave labor, and they were spared, right? The 20%, young people, young mothers, they get their arms tattooed and their hair cut off, rags to put on, and then they say, where's my children, where'd my grandmother go? And those SS troops used to really have their cheap thrills. They would always say the same thing. Look, they'd point to the chimneys of the crematorium and say, your grandmom just left the camp through the chimney. You see what I mean, teenagers? There's some much heavier stuff than the stupid phones that you're tempted to become addicted to. Much more heavier stuff than that. I know you put a video on there last night about a squirrel pushing a beach ball down the shore, and you had six likes last night, and this morning you want to commit suicide because you got six again still. I know it's a rough world out there. But say those women were told their children went through the gate through the spokestags. You wanna see that in your King James Bible? Twenty five hundred years before it ever happened? I don't know. Bible could be true. What's it say in verse one of chapter thirteen? When Ruckman said the greatest collection of anti-Semitic literature in the world is an Old Testament of a Bible, King James Bible. When Ephraim spake trembling, he exalted himself in Israel. But when he offended them, Bailey died. And now they, the Jews, they sin more and more and have made them molten images of their silver and idols, according to their own understanding, all of it the work of the craftsmen. They say of them, let the men that sacrifice kiss the calves. Remember that started up on uh, Mount Sinai? Now watch this one. Now the Lord's going to lay a heavy bomb on those Jews and he's going to tell them what he's going to do to them down the road. Look at it. Therefore they shall be as the morning cloud and as the early dew that passeth away. As the chaff that is driven with the whirlwind out of the floor. Hello neighbor. And as the what? Hmm? As the what? Smoke out of the What? There they go. People in the town of Auschwitz, which is Polish for Auschwitz, outside the death camps, look. They had ashes raining down all day all the time. Cars filled with ashes. It's somebody's relatives coming out of the sky. Okay. Oh, by the way, do you know one million Jews died at Auschwitz? That was the number one killing zone. Do you know that? Do you know three Auschwitzes two miles apart from each other, like a, like a triangle, administrative center, synthetic oil plant for slave labor, and the main four-gas four chamber location, the big place where there were 90% of them were gassed? Hello? Want to take a guess what the name of that main killing zone was? Don't pass out when I tell you. It's called Birkenau. Birkenau. You know Birch Run, Michigan, up the road? Birkenau. You want to guess what Birkenau means? It means birch tree. Ain't that something? One million Jews died in a in a place named after a tree. Rejecting the Messiah that was sent to them, who was put on a tree. Excuse me for breathing, but how did those Jews die in the gas chamber? No air? That's how they wanted to kill their Messiah, didn't they? But he, he dismissed the spirit before they could break his legs, forcing him to suffocate because he can't get up, get new air. Ain't that something? You ever think about stuff like that? You won't find that on your phones. By the way, the last thing those Jews, I've stood at the very spot where that gas chamber is still still there, the rubble is still there, the stairway going into the clothing changing location where they go right into the gas chamber, it's still there. I've stood on the very spot where... All those Jews, a million of them, went down those steps. The last thing they saw, Brother Sal, was a gigantic Red Cross truck parked there as a prop. In case you're sick, we're going to take care of you. Scamming them to the end. The last thing those Christ rejecting Jews saw was a gigantic Red Cross. Then they go into Eternity. A Jew's in trouble. Now, I'll show you an object lesson. And I'm just about done. I'm going to show you exactly what's wrong with that Jew tonight, right here, with this object lesson. Can two of you guys help me out, all kidding aside? Any two of you? Uh, come on, who wants to get a girlfriend? This is going to make you look good. Who needs a girlfriend? Hey, Come on. Hallelujah. I got this girl with buck teeth in one eye that wants me to find somebody for her. She's a good girl. Seriously, she's good What are you laughing at? She reads her Bible every day. Oh, hold that thing right there. All kidding aside, I appreciate you guys helping me. Most of you are familiar with that flag, right? Now, again, let me, let me be a blessing to you. This is not stuff you're going to get in the Bible conference anywhere. It's just stuff I get. Okay? I mean, I want to be a blessing to you. you tell me if you've seen this before, okay? You know, uh, the Bible says in Romans 11, blindness in part has happened to Israel. Just like Moshe Dan, Just like that one-eyed Jewish antichrist, the idol shepherd over there in the Old Testament. Partial blindness, some Jews get saved. Total blindness, no, no Jews will be saved. But look at this flag. Could you hold it up a little higher, gentlemen? Thank you. Now look, the, the Jews are staring at that flag. All the Israeli soldiers going off into Gaza now. They In great great groups, they're saluting their flag, singing their national anthem. You know what their national anthem is? Look it up. It's called Ha Tikva. Ha, I'm no Hebrew expert. Ha means the, Tikva means hope like Hope Baptist Church. That's, the, that's their song, The Hope. Isn't that funny? They're singing about the return of Christ and they don't even know what they're saying. You know, like in Titus, the Blessed Hope, what the rapture is called. They don't know what they're doing. You know how blind they are? They're looking at two triangles right there. I know it's the uh, Rephraim Star. What do you think, the Jews are gonna, they're not going to be screwed up somehow? Of course they're messed up. But they don't even know what that symbolizes there. Because God's got his own symbology. Anybody can tell you in ancient church history, the Trinity was symbolized by a triangle. you got to have a doctorate to know that. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? We were made in his image, so we're body, soul, and spirit. You know why Italians can't count to ten? Because every time they get to two, they run into a tree. Somebody say amen. I'm almost finished here. you got to be a stand-up comic than preaching the 21st century. You see that star right there? That's God. And the second triangle is man. When we were created, we were in God. We were in his likeness. But then we fell. With Adam fell, that triangle dipped upside down. We're lost hound dogs. That's why pretty soon you're going to sing Hark to Herald Angels saying, Adam's likeness now erase, efface. Stamp thine image in his place. You know what happened to you when you got saved? That bottom upside down triangle got turned back up again. And that's why you're in Christ tonight. You're in God, okay? That Jew can't see that. So he's looking at, first of all, a trinity that he doesn't believe in for five minutes, even though he doesn't go 26 verses into the book of Genesis. And they don't have the verses like we do. You know that. But you don't go into the until you get to the 26th verse where it says, God says, let us make man in our image. Well, how come that you can't see a trinity there? Because he's blind. Duh. You're blessed, aren't you? He's blind. You're blessed. And not only that, but... Uh, they can't see their own fallen nature on that flag. That's, that's how messed up they are. They're blind. But it's much worse than this, okay? It's much worse than this. And I'm about two feet from home plate now. Home plate's where we end in the, the message. Now, uh, Just hang on to that just a few more seconds, fellas. There's our American flag, right? You know, Philip Sousa said, uh, Stars and Stripes Forever. Is that, isn't that what that what that song is called? All that flag has is... Stars and stripes. You want to talk about a Christian flag? You couldn't make this up if you had to. Do those white stars on that blue field make you think of some direction you want to go when you kick the bucket? Who wants to go that way? I want to go toward those stars, don't you? Except you can't go there because of sin. So you got to get the sin cared for or you'll never hit those stars. Well, duh. What's the rest of the flag made up of? Stripes. I've heard that word before. How many stripes are there? Well, another coinky dinky, thirteen stripes. Isn't it funny how thirteen is the number for rebellion? You're in a good Bible teaching church. You've heard all that numerology stuff that I never heard one day at Howes Anderson College for five years a student. You know thirteen is the number for rebellion. But ain't that a coinky dinky? It's not thirteen red stripes or thirteen white stripes, is it? It's a combination of seven red and six white. Oh, wow, you mean the number of God, seven, the number of man, six. Whoa, somebody said a coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. What what does that mean? God and man. Maybe we need a God-man who would take our stripes for us. Isn't that what Isaiah 53 says? By his stripes we are what? Healed. Ain't Ain't that something? And isn't that funny? It's not seven white stripes and six red ones. It's seven red stripes and six white ones. Why is that? Well, duh. I guess you can't get into that white stripe unless you go through that red blood. By the way, if you want one more coinkydinky, there's 50 stars on that flag. That's the number for freedom and liberty in Leviticus. You should know that. Year of Jubilee, every 50 years, they got their stuff back. What about that, neighbor? So what's I got to do with the price of eggs? That stuff's all in some of my books. This, the Lord just showed my own heart. And listen, biggest mistake you'll ever make sitting out there, Mr. Baptist and Mrs. Baptist and sitting there and hearing all this wild stuff and the devil says, don't you wish you were a preacher so you could see all that cool stuff? If you believe that, join a Protestant church. There's no clergy and lady here. We're all brethren here. And God better be showing you church people all kind of stuff. And you ladies, Hello, you better get, have your own nuggets. So here, how's this for a nugget? The Lord just showed me this a couple weeks ago. I can't even put it in a book. What's America's traditional colors? Brother Jamie, one more time, last scripture of my sermon. I'm done with this scripture. Please turn to Romans 10 real quick. You think you can find two scriptures in 10 minutes? All right, Romans 10. Here it is, neighbor. Are you ready for the greatest object lesson you'll ever see in your life? What's America's traditional colors? Simple, what? Red, what? White and what? That's yeah, America. The foundation of God's preaching the gospel, missionaries, everything under the sun coming out of America that's good for God's work. You ready for this? Red, white and blue. Look at that flag. How many colors on that flag? Huh? How many? Yeah. One of them's is missing, isn't it? I wonder what color what color's missing? Oh, the red's missing? Without the shedding of blood? You know why that Jewish, those Jewish babies are being beheaded? They got no interest in the blood. But it's even worse than that. Did you notice you got the blue representing heaven? No blood. And the white representing purity? Can you see how much disproportionate their size there is there? For the white and the blue, you see what I'm saying? Seven, eight times as much white as there is blue. Do you see that? Here's your scripture, Jamie. Read those three verses, and I'm done. Yeah, Romans 10, one through three. Here it comes. Ain't that something? Who put Jesus on that cross? Look, look. Self-righteous Pharisees. Nobody's any more self-righteous in the world's history than a Jew. Anybody knows that? Look at all that white. Look at it all. No blood. Okay, gentlemen, thank you. You can just fold it up real simple and put it down. I'm done. Most preachers put their jacket on when they're done. I took mine off when I'm done. I took it off for a reason. Now, I'm going to tell you this and quit. I, I told the preacher I had something crazy to show the people, and so here it is now. Now here's the deal: when you see this, all you have to do is go like this. Look, <laughs> screaming and yelling, pull your head out of your head. Do something. If you just sit there like this, I got a lot of stories. I'm 71 years old. We could be here another three days. (laughs) How many of you think you can get excited in the next couple seconds? Revival, hands are going up everywhere. Don't mind me, I like this church because I've been around so long. I appreciate you people. So I'm going to show you something now that's crazy, okay? Ready? That Jew is a special person to God. He's getting whipped, but God still will bless you if you do right by him. Listen, back in 2008... I, I, I finished Final Authority. I mean, How Satan Turned America Against God. It took me six years to finish it. I had dental problems coming out of my head all over the place. I kept, I, the book kept dragging on, 9-11 hit, and it kept dragging. I never thought it would be six years to write that book. And I'm putting all my money in typesetting and different things and letting my teeth go to pot. Okay, look. Meantime, look, I'm suffering, look. Meantime, uh, Finley, Ohio, Walt Shepard, one of my former students at House Anderson. He has a big pro-Israel rally. The Jews are in their second Lebanon war, getting shelled up in the north, the Jews, all kind of Jews in, in, in bomb shelters and everything, right? And so they asked me to come up there and preach a message on Israel that I'd preached once before, and they had a big fundraiser for those Jewish uh, uh, citizens, right? And the bomb shelters. So I went up there, they had newspaper people there. They did it right. It was packed house. They raised $50,000 for the Jews, the preacher walks up and he writes me a seven hundred dollar check. Another weak moment, like the time I gave you guys twenty. I signed the check and threw it back at him. I said, "Let it ride, man. I'm going to get in on the action." I was much more depressed once that seven hundred dollar check left my head than I was the twenties. But I wanted to get in on the action. Watch this, neighbor. Long story short, when that was over, I drove back to my church in Swartz Creek, Michigan. That was Saturday night. Preached Sunday morning, Sunday night. Jumped in my car Sunday night and drove all the way to North Carolina. A friend of mine down there has got two daughters working at a dentist office. They have a good testimony. The New Jersey dentist likes the girls. He said, if you ever have any preachers that got dentist problems, send them in there. i give them a discount. So their daddy called me and set up an appointment. I drive down there through the night half dead, didn't need any gas. Put me out. I just crashed in a chair. And he did all kind of work on my mouth. Sent me home. Had me come back two more times from Michigan back down to North Carolina when it was all over. Brother Rick, he gave me a bill, ten thousand dollars. two or three implants, two or three crowns. I can't even remember everything that he did in my mouth. Look, it was all over. the, the invoice was ten grand, almost eleven. Of course, it, bottom line was it was zero at the bottom because the whole thing was no charge. Now look here. I'm not very smart but 700 in, 10 grand back in 24 hours basically. The Bible could be true, I'm telling you. And listen to this. Right after that happened, that pastor brother Finley down here, my brother Shepherd and Finley had 50 grand. How do I get this to the Jews in Israel? He called brother Vineyard in Oklahoma. Brother Vineyard flew over to Israel with the money. Bought supplies, got a truck, got a driver, went up there. Some of you may know this. He gave all these diapers and water bottles and food to everybody. Met a bunch of Israeli soldiers there. Started giving them hot meals. They thought he walked on water because he's a Vietnam Green Beret crazy killer preacher. He's wild if anybody knew Brother Vineyard. Wild. Next thing you know, he's over there talking to these soldiers and a shelling comes in from Lebanon and all the Israeli soldiers dive up for cover in their tanks and in their shelters. Brother Vineyard, on, on purpose sits on a, on a stump and starts eating peanuts. You remember what you know, Stonewall Jackson did as a Calvinist. You know, it's my time to go, God will protect me. And them Israeli soldiers looking through the people. Who's that crazy guy with a business suit sitting out there eating peanuts? This is all a true story. They came back out of their shelter, and they said, what are you doing? He said, I'm a Christian. I'm trusting the Lord. They said, thank you for everything you've done for us. Is there anything we can do for you? Brother Vineyard says, I'd like to fire a couple shells at those reprobates over there in Lebanon. You can get on the Internet and see them signing shells to Hezbollah from Brother Vineyard. And he puts them in the tank. Boom! He's firing the shells over there. I'm not making that up, neighbor. You can't make this stuff up. He comes back, and here's the crazy part of the story, and I'm 99% done with everything I'm going to say tonight. He got back. Six months later, I get a phone call from Pastor Finley right here in, Pastor Shepard right here in Finley. Brother Grady, we're going to go to Israel. Brother Vinya, two or three preachers on a military tour with the Israeli Defense Forces, and our church wants to pay your way every nickel. Oh, I've been there three times already. Holy mackerel, this is a trip with the Israeli Defense Forces. Sure, I'll go. The Holy Spirit said, you better check your schedule, pal. Well, let me get back to you and check my schedule. I looked there, preacher, I got so depressed. I was booked to preach for Charlie Andrews there in Gloryland Baptist Church, Birmingham, Alabama. Oy, oy, I never wanted to fall back on eternal security more in my whole life than I did just that. But I had character, and I called him back. I can't go. Can you change the Can you change the trip for one week? He told me to get lost. All kidding aside, I'm done. Two, three months later, they take off. They're over in Israel. I'm sitting here in hillbilly Alabama, cursing the day of my birth, preaching a bunch of rednecks. They're all running around up there with the IDF military bases. No hope, you know, no tourist stuff. And I'm depressed as I could be. I preached my sermon Saturday, uh, Monday morning. Look, up here. Second preacher. When it's all over, I get my Bible and step down depressed. I didn't, And here's the key to the story. Now, if you told me this, I wouldn't believe. I didn't tell one soul, not one soul, that I was supposed to be over there with the IDF. Now, look. Moses comes down from the mountain. His face is glowing. Remember that? George Antonius told me this in Montreal, 2 o'clock in the morning when I'm telling you now. He said, Moses messed up. The tablets he came down with, God gave the tablets to him to give to the people. That revelation God gave to Moses was personal. He was supposed to have a mask on. Moses was dumb. He had the mask off. What's that mean? God ever does a miracle for you? Some have entertained angels unaware. You ever tell that to people? They look at you like a calf looking at a new gate. You're not supposed to tell that stuff. That's private between you and God. Because you can't prove it, for one thing. But I'm going to show you something now. Because there's the proof. Because if you told me this, I wouldn't believe you. And I'm building this up for fun with you. But I want to encourage you. I just told you what God does for preachers, he'll do for you. So you better have your own stories. I come down off that platform all depressed, not having told one soul about anything. I'm going to eat down my sorrows. This guy jumps up over here on the right, comes in the aisle, and he says, Brother Grady, you got a minute? I said, yeah, what do you want? He said, uh, can you come with me for a minute? I don't, know what, I don't know if he's a terrorist or whatever. And we go out in the parking lot. He goes to his car, and he's not crying, but I usually throw that in because it sounds a little much better. I'm uh, I'm being honest with you now. He wasn't crying, but I, you watch this on tape, on videos. Sometimes I say he's crying. I thought he was crying. He might have been. I know he was depressed, Brother Rick. Brother Rick's shaking his head. Don't you know I'm every homeschool mother's worst nightmare? You know that's true. You know how you break up an Italian wedding? I've been neglecting the poor young youth department. I'm neglecting the youths. You know how you break up an Italian wedding? Somebody yells, the cement's here. She likes me. She likes me right there. Rest of my... He takes me out to the parking lot, right? He's half depressed, <clears throat> acting anyway. He says, Brother Grady, I don't know why I'm supposed to do this, but the Lord told me i was supposed to give you something. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know what he's talking about. And he, uh, he gives me this uh, super nice leather coat. I mean, it was several hundreds of dollars. I don't have a leather coat to my name. I don't know why I'm supposed to give you this, but the Lord told me i was supposed to give you this. Now, the young people, they were so good, so I'm going to give them a sneak preview, okay? Now, this guy has no clue that I was just giving up an all-expense-paid trip to Israel to be with the Israeli Defense Force, you know what I mean? Brother Rick, listen, how, how, how could you make up stuff like this? Tell me where that coat came from. I have no idea who that dude was. I've never met him since. I had never got his name. Now, some of you folks that are in the back row ministry, right? You can't see this. But it says Israeli Defense Forces. Where'd that come from? Hello? Anybody home? You know, there's a God in heaven. that you know He knows how to bless you for faithfulness if you'll do right. Hello? I said, I said to the, a guy, I said, where in the world did you get that jacket? He said, I bought it in New Orleans at a Jewish delicatessen. Cajun Kosher Deli. That's what he said. He said, the Jew that owned that joint was selling these jackets to raise money for the Israeli Defense Force. And you know what? To make it even sweeter, that same church called me a year later and said, we got another trip going, Brother Grady. Can you check your calendar? I ain't checking nothing. And I went over him. I went over on that second trip. (laughs) Hey, man, you know, bottom line, that second trip was 10 times better than the first one they said. I got a picture of me sitting on an Israeli tank. It is wild. And the main special forces, Gavati base in the Golan Heights, the commander of the base was so impressed with me for some crazy reason, he had the flag cut down off the pole and presented to me from the base. And there's this gigantic Israeli Star David flag. I have it in a big frame at my house tonight. And that's it. I'm all done. What does that book say? That book says, Pray for the Peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. They're in trouble tonight. And all you can do is stand back and let God do what he's going to do. But you keep witnessing to them. You keep praying for them. But most of all, you dig in as best you can with your own church and try to keep serving God because he's coming soon. Last bit of advice. Don't buy any cemetery plots on cash. Put them on time payments. We're getting ready to get out of here. Uh, Preacher. Would you come and dismiss your service or have your prayer time? Thank you for letting me give this material to you tonight. And thank you for letting me take a little longer than you used to. But you could be having your babies beheaded, so it could be a lot worse. Thank the Lord for how good he's been to us.